I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind, and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know, the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, they missed the bowl of kaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. You're pinning words all like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room, where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what, y'all? Wakanda. Wakanda forever. <laughs> 500 million goddamn dollars over. I told bitch. everybody. I told everybody. One weekend. I told everybody. Right. And I, was, and I still believe this is to be true. It's going to be the box office champ of the year. Mm-hmm. It'll be the last big box office like film. Hmm. I mean, the, in terms of like the money, right, the, right, I think it'll right. be the last one because I just think that the industry, you know, like the, the audience is pulling away from movies a lot more, and it's just it's really hard to get a movie like over right. six, seven hundred million dollars worldwide. Easy. I think this will be the last one that does it. Oh. I, don't, I mean, I don't <laughs> even think that. Uh, um, Wrinkle Time is gonna it's gonna make money. It's gonna oh, be a success, exactly money, right. but but it's not gonna be the same. Hmm. Okay. Well, y'all know how we do it on the Rant Room. <clears throat> on this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture. But our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Little disclaimer, mm. we thought Lisa was coming back today, but apparently she's on a panel. Where's she at? Do you remember? I don't remember. Yeah, she's on, she's on a panel today, so... Uh, you know, we she'll be back soon. We promise. Shout out promise. to Lisa. She's only been on one all year. She's <laughs> real slipping. She has that new uh, article in sci-fi.com or in, something. In, what is it? In the Sci-Fi Wire. She got a, sci-fi she's Wire. She's a, great, yeah. she, it's a great article about uh, Black Panther. And, yeah. And what they did in San Diego. So. Yeah, Big up, Lisa. Out. Get back soon. No doubt. So you hear his voice over there. Tracy Grant, writer, producer himself. Back again. What it do? Nice to be with you. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Welcome, man. We ain't seen you in a minute. It's been a while, and I've been working. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a little refreshing tidbit to get us off on track. Let's get it. So, you know, we get to the office. We try to get to the office early. Hilliard had not quite been here. Mm -hmm. And so I was in the car um, reworking, been working on a feature for a while, Mm -hmm. but I did it not with the tablet, not with the phone, the good old-fashioned Pen and paper. <laughs> like Chris Derrick does. Right? I jot this, right. <laughs> jotted some things down, so I'm already feeling productive Good, before we even started the podcast. I love it. I love it. <laughs> you, can, you, you can still do it. You're, right. you're allowed to, you know, write with a pen. And see, I hardly ever do. I take little notes on my little, little, little what's it called, little post-its. Post-its, yeah. Every once in a while, but... I, I swear my handwriting is so bad because I hardly ever write. Whatever works for you. I'm horrible at it. Of course. But we all, (laughs) many of us have time constraints. You're worried about, well, I need more time to write. And that that few, because it was less than a half an hour, but I felt like I made very good use of the time because I was able to just get some thoughts down on paper. But you're right on the money. That's exactly why Pilar Alessandro came out with her book, The Coffee Break Screenwriter, which is about finding 10 minutes. That's right. You'd be amazed the, the amount right. of work you get well, done in 10 minutes. I mean, look, you're giving yourself an excuse if you say you don't have time. Right. Because, like, I, 
take notes a lot on my pencil and notebook that I keep. Mm-hmm. But I also keep it. But I, but you know the the iPhone. There's a thing. The notes. Yeah, thing, I use that a lot. Notes, which, right? Totally. Like, and that stinks back to your computer. So you right. just pull it off there, mm-hmm. and it's like you can be a lot of times. Like if I'm in line at the post office, <laughs> I'm going to write some dialogue down right. or some idea because it's right there, and it's like or. Or, or even better, this it, it's got voice recognition. I just like just speak some shit. Right. It'll be fine. So there's no excuse. No you know. excuse whatsoever. Um, it's just you being lazy, or <laughs> right. or if not, there's a block, or you're not ready to tell your story, or right. something you don't know enough about. But then it's kind of like think about the details. The details. Like, I, you know what? I'm gonna. I'm a name check your boy again. Go ahead, go ahead. Okay, so Leonard Chang, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who writes on Snowfall, uh, he on his website maybe sometime in the last four or five months, was like that, and his mm-hmm. Tumblr, he listed his he has this list that he does, not a list but a chart of what he does for every character or who's the main character. Really? It's like this big list of like this data you got to fill out. Like mm-hmm. what was their first kiss and all this kind and of stuff. Like, in, and he right? goes, yeah, yeah really yeah. in, right. you know, really, really in. And it's just like, you know, those like it, that kind of detail work on your characters will give you the, to, the, the, inf- the strength to break through like, the writing block you think you have. I believe that 100%. You know, I have young writers come in here, you know, probably five or ten of them a week. You know, we talk about their their story or whatever it is they're working on. <clears throat> and almost every week somebody says, so I was thinking about this or I was thinking about that. And then they'll tell me a little bit about their character, right? Their main character. The character works at this particular office or whatever. And I'll stop and I'll go, so just, some, just a question for you. And they'll say, what? And I says, so why are they working in that particular office in that particular job? And they'll be like, oh, I don't I just thought that was like an interesting world. I'm like, mm-mm, it's got to be deeper than that, which is what you're saying. So I always say, go back to your bio and really think about why. And if you can tie in why you have them have that particular occupation that helps them in their journey, then that makes sense. But until you figure that out, you're just on the you're you're writing on the you're surface. On the surface. And, and, and yeah, and 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 you'll get stuck. You're absolutely right because you know it's this whole thing that I'm working on a, a story about this. Our jobs are our identity. Right. And it has a lot to do with it has a lot to do with with what we do, choices we make and just there's so much stuff going on that if you are uh selected that haphazardly, mm-hmm. then the character just like if you take a job haphazardly, you hate the job. It's not interesting, right. and and you're not engaged in anything. So mm-hmm. so so nothing's gonna happen to disrupt you at that at like at That's that job word, disrupt. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. and therefore, and if something does happen, you don't. It's you know then the loss of it doesn't matter because I hated right. that job anyway. So I'm out. <laughs> well, you hear the phrase "character is story." That's really pretty much what that means. Mm-hmm. Because to Chris's point, you have a job. It's how do you feel about that job? Are you fulfilled? Are you there just getting a check? Mm-hmm. Are you miserable in that job? Are you upset that you were passed over for something else? All of these dynamics come right. with that one particular choice. Right. But you're looking at the paper. It's just, well, so-and-so works in an office. Right. Or so-and-so is a mechanic. So you got to really be thinking about 
where the connective tissue to your story is going right. to come from as opposed to all of these details and traits. If none of them are resonating with what you say your story is about or what it is, you just have, you just have more work to do. Right. Yeah, but will, eventually, <laughs> it shows itself. Well, there's a great example of that is in the movie Drive, mm-hmm. is that the lead character, he drives getaway for bank robberies and shit like that. Mm-hmm. But what's his job? He's a stunt mm. driver in Hollywood. Right. And it's like this perfect job it's for the, that. Who you know, else would know how to do, do that, that shit? You know, and, right. I, and on top of that, like, you know, his, his cue, mm. you know, is, is a mechanic. So he's setting the car, getting the car great. So it's like this right. perfect way to kind of fit everything in. Mm-hmm. But it also keeps them poor because right. those aren't like high paying jobs. So they got to do this, right. this crime and shit like that. And, and that's a perfect example. If you would have given him a different job, you'd have to explain why he'd know how to do all these things. Mm-hmm. But giving him a specific job tells you how he can do a certain thing. Like, <laughs> I hate to go back to this. The last Jurassic Park movie, which I fucking hated. Sorry to say that. I never say I hate movies, but... I don't know. It was entertaining at times. I'll give it that. The, when they, when the two little boys were running into that little, what they get that? Oh, that cave, cave the, the, shit. The previous, and then he throws out out the blue. Remember back when we used to fix cars with Granddad or some bullshit, and then they fixed the car, yeah, like that. It was cheap. And that not, was way too convenient. It's not just that, but it's like, <laughs> yeah, but then you know the battery for sitting for 20 years does not going to work. So you just kind of screwed. So you right, just, the the right. inc- inconsistency in that whole statement, I, I can't even get into that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm using it as an example, example yeah. Nuts of, and bolts. of where those conveniences come because people go, oh, well, I'll just have this happen. It's like, no, you got to set that up. Yeah, and the thing is, in that movie, in, like in the opening scene, you know, those those kids aren't doing anything. Right. And those kids could have been doing something right. like that. Could have been doing some engineering shit. Right. Could have been whatever some it setup. is, you know, then, right. you know. So again, it's a cliche, but audiences are smart. Your audience is far more sophisticated than you might think when you first start on this draft or whatever you're working on and you gotta you gotta take that into account if it feels too easy it feels too convenient Mm -hmm. it's probably too convenient for you as a writer and so there's always work to be done in that regard but you got you want to be thinking about these things at the very least early on and save yourself some time and headaches and i'm a i'm a bad host i didn't introduce my man chris derrick (laughs) <laughs> From the writing directing team, the Derek the, Brothers. The unauthorized <laughs> CBD. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. we like to say. What's up, people? What's up? Exactly, exactly. So if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get it to the show. So what are we talking about today, Chris? You know, we're going to talk about getting jobs in Hollywood. All right. And particularly in television. Because I think the 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 I think people are not fully aware that your script is not the main thing that gets you the job. Right. You know, like 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 your script will just your script just gets you in the room. You know, I mean, unless you're selling a pilot, the script that's the and then everything else is that is what you is the politics that you can play. Right. Um, how important that you are to what the showrunner is looking for because mm-hmm. he's casting his room the same way. A director casts his movie. Right. He's got to know, and it's basically he's. It's kind of like a conductor, mm-hmm. in the in, you know at the Philharmonic. He's trying to think. Okay, so I'm 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 playing this 
symphony. Right. I got to have this guy on the oboe. I got to have this guy on the, you know, the bassoon. This guy's got to play the French horn. Mm-hmm. And you know, and so so you as the writer, if you, you did come you say in the bassoon, I did say the bassoon. <laughs> he did. <laughs> it's musically educated. <laughs> He didn't say the guitar. He don't come with the bassoon. It's the there's, no yeah. good, there's no guitar in the symphony. And, and the oboe. Don't forget the oboe. <laughs> <laughs> the violin, some shit we heard of. <laughs> it's no, but so, so, but it's you if you come in and you're going to play like the French horn part. Right. You know that. See, it's, it's that, it's that you, you have to identify in the pilot script mm-hmm. what part you know that you can kill, that right. you can deliver. You know, like, you know, because that's what the like that's something that the room needs. Well, you well you're saying something really important. A lot of people don't realize when you when you go by the time you get to the showrunners, you know, to meet the showrunner, you've already read the script. Mm-hmm. You know, a yes. lot of people just think you submit a script and then you go in the meeting and you don't even know what the show is that you're going out for. Or whatever. It's like, no, you read the script. Yes, well, you might have seen the pilot. You might have seen the pilot, et cetera, et cetera. So you have that to go on. So sometimes, and you know, Tracy yes. a lot. They will ask you, you know, straight up, you know, what what type of things do you think we could do with the show? You know, where do you think we went wrong? And you got to be really careful about answering that that one. one. (laughs) Go ahead, Trace. Yes. You never want to, not that you shouldn't be honest in that scenario, but if you think the story went wrong, you want to frame it in a way that you were offering an alternate take or a different view, not necessarily that they did this the wrong way right. or, you know, it would have sucked a little less if you did it. Like, that's the kind of language you don't want to use. Mm-hmm. But you're coming in with your take. And we've talked a lot about these areas on the podcast before. The script is it's going to be more than the script. Obviously, the script good is not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to bring something else with you in terms of what you're offering in the meeting, whether you shot something, you've done some other material, you've done something that's garnered an audience, a social media presence. You have to make yourself as an asset as clear as possible. Right. And it's certainly when it comes around to the show, it, because the competition is so profound now like you you should have many 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 different takes on stories for that show and on characters and like why we need this person in the room because they're coming with so much and where or it's so unique so you have to think about all of that in addition to having a script that's crazy you cannot and i spoke with my representation recently about Mm this because we're all (laughs) trying to distinguish ourselves so it's not just, all right, it's Tracy and 50 other people for this one position. It's like, well, what are you going to do to distinguish yourself? (laughs) Yeah, Hilliard says, what's your superpower from those 50 people? Because as hot as the script may be, it can't just be that script. So you want to be, or you want to position yourself so that you're not up against those odds, so to speak. Well, let's talk about this. So a lot of people think, oh, my superpower is structure. So I'm going to go in there and talk about how I know structure. It's like, yeah, but the last dude who just left, or the woman who just left. Oh, shit. That's my phone, isn't it? Sound effects. (laughs) Sorry about that, you guys. No problem. Um, Oh, so like the last person who just left also came in talking about their superpower was structure. Right. So here's where you get away with this. Here's how you make yourself stand out, in my opinion. And I always tell people this. 
your background is stronger than everybody else's background if it's a personal take on something. So if there's a said character who's a, who's a cop, right, and your uncle is a cop, right, so you come in to the meeting going, I really love Officer Krupke. That's right. <laughs> you get the joke, right? <laughs> From West Side Story. <laughs> I really love this yes. particular cop because my uncle, yada, yada, I grew up with him. I would ride with him in the car. You tell him personal It's a jury. Personal, exactly. You You're I mean? able to personalize <clears throat> whatever part of the conversation around the material is. You immediately connect yourself. You personalize right. it. You make yourself unique in terms of what you're bringing. And it's just like Hilliard said, you offer it and frame it positively. You know, I love this about the character and what he did in this episode. Obviously, you want your homework done. You right. want to be able to talk about the show. You want to know the character And the names. season, like the back of your hand. Right. And personalizing that, that asset, that superpower that you have is the way to make the distinction. It's right. a jewel. You cannot, well, I'm great at structure. I'm great at dialogue. I'm great at... That's not good enough. It's, it's, it's not good enough. It, it, it was crazy is, it was crazy is if, the script, if the script had a great structure mm-hmm. and had great dialogue, well, then the showrunner was like, I'm good at So the why right. I need you? Right. That be, you know, because that's my role. So what new You're, role... And, and you said the job of the, of the, of the showrunner is to, is to put together the band. Uh-huh. So they, they don't need two drummers. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> you feel yeah. me? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. They right? don't. No, they don't. <laughs> they don't. <clears throat> no, they don't. So it's important to really... And all of this stuff is connected. Like people say, well, you know, it's the writer's voice. We're looking for that fresh new voice. Whatever your voice is... You're going to have to figure it out because if you don't figure it out, you're not going to be able to articulate it in a room. Well, I'll give you a perfect example. So, so I was in a meeting just last Friday, and somehow we got to talking about what my superpower was without saying that's my superpower. So I went into this whole rant about how I love to write underdog stories and how being a young black dude from the hood, being gay, right. you know, and having to protect myself from all the bullies, you know what I mean, made me being attracted to that. I was like, I could write a horror movie that's about an understory. And I just started going down the list of how no matter what you read, it always has that in there somewhere. Yes. You see what I mean? Without saying my superpower is structure. Of course. <laughs> you know what I mean? Of course. I said I like the underdog guy. I like yeah. the guy who's fighting for something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because <clears throat> the thing is, is that the... the you actually should never be talking about the mechanics as your power right. because everybody in the room has a, has a certain, you know, have mastered <clears throat> dialogue and right. structure because that's how their scripts got it. Yeah, in. they're all professional. So, and also you're in the room with, with probably four other people. Someone's going to know structure really good. And right. if there's a problem, you're all going to figure it out then. Right. It's figuring out what, that you know those, other, those deeper, richer moments of the story is what's going to make people. Because um, it, it, it's the, you know it's, I was telling somebody the other day. It's like the, you know this, like, this is what happens a lot with shows for me. <clears throat> By the time the third season ends, you've done so much with the characters. It's kind of hard to watch a show after season three mm-hmm. because you've you know if, I mean. You have to really, 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 really really shake it. Oh, yeah, we're talking about The Wire. I was like, and The Wire did a masterstroke by focusing on those kids in the the fourth season. Mm -hmm. And also, if you think about it, it's like 
in the third season, they took it to the they they took it to the limit with that when Avon yeah, yeah, yeah. and fucking Stringer mm-hmm. had gone so separately. They come up together, but now because Avon had been in jail, you know that it's like and they were and they, I mean there was no place for those guys to go right. any farther. They were they were they're already at their edges, and that's why Stringer gets killed because it's like somebody had to die. Some, someone had to die, right? You know, mm-hmm. and then you know and and because you couldn't have the fourth season. Be about those two guys again? Not again no, no, no. It would have been like, well, what? Right. So, so that's the thing. But, but the wire is a great example of a show where it's like, there's no filler episodes. Like right. every episode is so densely designed and packed. And uh, I mean, and that's kind of what we're used to now watching stuff on um, on cable. I mean, well, yeah, on cable, cable, I think more so than streaming. Because a lot of times in streaming, they, I, I think people know that, that it's all coming at once and they're not really cognizant of that. I've seen too many streaming series where <clears throat> those episodes like seven, eight, nine, mm-hmm. in, in, they seem to be slower. Okay. You know, I'm just like. By the way, Lisa just texted me saying she might call in. So I might oh, put her on speaker. Okay, or well, if she's gonna call in, she's to call in. Let's, let's make it happen, Lisa. You can get to you can get to a phone. I think The Wire and all of these shows we know, Breaking Bad, Mad Men, even Sopranos, even going back to the Shield, like The Wire did it masterfully, maybe as good as anyone. But they're doing the same thing. Your your one hour drama for the most part is looking to arc out the entire season before they start writing. Right. Um, so I'm simplifying a little bit, but you're going in, it's like, all right, here's where all our main characters are today. Where do we want these people to be at the end of the season? Right. What has happened to them at the end of the season? And so you, you clarify where they're going, how much change, what's going to happen, and then you're looking at the best and most entertaining way to to get us there, right. whether it's 10 episodes, 12 episodes. So you're aware of that. And, you know, The Wire brilliantly sort of changed the lens each season um, coming from the angle of a different profession. Mm-hmm. Um, like season three, although it was the, the cops and the drug dealer story, is really the lens of the city government. Yeah. And then the education system and the schools in season four, the newspapers in season five. So that was very innovative for them. Right. But it's the it's the same idea. You you're understanding where your characters are and how far they're going to go, what the leaps are going to be, right. and but you know it's starting from the end and the beginning. Same with Breaking Bad. You know, Walter White had different stages of his mm-hmm. criminality and how far he was and wasn't willing to go. Maybe how far he's willing to go in season two was a lot different from. Season five, because right. well, things have happened. And yeah, so it, well, understanding all of that and where you fit into it—that's like step one. Right. You made an interesting point about the wire. It's the one thing that that show did that I think a lot of people—it's hard to do on shows, but it works really good in that show. Mm-hmm. I remember David Simon was saying that what he wanted to do with every season is he wanted to show how an institution um, betrayed. Everyone who was part who who uh, who worked for the institution, mm. and I think that's such a great um, 
it's a great way of approaching those mm-hmm. seasons because you know it's it's very hard to it's it's very hard to do that with most shows because everyone's coming and thinking about the character in the world mm-hmm. and then and you put them, you put them in these environments that uh, uh, that don't have that superstructure to it. And I think I think that's also why The Wire is different than than every other cop show like that mm-hmm. because they he knows yeah, I remember because like you said the newspapers have to like fake the stories in that and the and and those kids and the institutions and the social services and how that just fucks all of them completely yeah and uh I mean the docs and it's it's crazy mm-hmm. because that's like this overarching thing is going on and then he's dealing with this with the case you know right. um yeah but that's like the thing that you could be talking about because uh, you know the thing about show creators is that maybe they don't know everything about the show. I mean, we've seen a lot of shows. If that, it's not the pilot, they don't know everything about yeah, the show for sure. I mean, it's but, it's mm-hmm. there's a few showrunners who know everything about the show, but very rarely. Yeah, David right. Simon also had an interesting Bible. Right. document about the show and the argument he was looking to present in the first season. You can find that somewhere, right? Yeah, it is online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, lots of sources for inspiration, mm-hmm. people. Um, it's just about where you're looking to to start from and what gives you kind of that inspiration because you're, you're going to do your best stuff if you're really feeling it and into it. Um, we all love Black Panther and Get Out. A lot of the films that are out now it's award season so that Mm -hmm. gives us energy to um put into our own work as opposed to you know worrying about how tough it is and competitive it is so staying positive is important and getting what you need to to keep that positive energy is is important i want to go back so chris you were saying about um you know having the script is like 30 percent of getting the job let's talk about that just a little bit more um, um, because people think, you know, I have a script isn't, isn't that good enough, you know, to get in. And I'm going to give you a perfect example. So last night after the, we did the Black Panther, um, screening, <clears throat> I ran into, I'm not going to say his name on the, on the air, big, big, big writer, friend of mine, who you know too. And he came up to me, he's like, hell, and he introduced me to his family who I haven't, I met, I met them a long time ago. I was like reintroduced to him. And he said, he pulled me aside. He said, I want to talk to you for a second. He says, what? He said, I just went in for this job to be the number two on the show. He said, I had to turn it down, but because he's got, he's on another show. He said, but it was probably the best script I ever read. Probably the number in the top three scripts I've ever read as a pilot, you know, and every year he's on a show. He works all the time. And he said, I want to put you up for the show. I said, really? He said, yeah, and he said, he said this. This is the re- this is the reason why I'm going to this. Because you're talking about thirty percent of the writing is whatever. He says, he said exactly what you said. He says, he said, um, you'll get staffed based on who you are if you have a writing sample that'll get you in. Just just how I know who you are. Everybody loves you. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're hella cool. I dig you. I've read your writing before. I know you're a badass, but if you have something that works for that show, you will get it. Yeah, see, that's you feel, a, yeah. You feel me? So I, it's I, not always no. Well, it's no. not always the writing. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you know the thing that people will tell you is, um, again, the difference between writing a pilot on your own or or, or, or even writing a feature on your own is is you. Right. 
But in the but when, you, when you're on a on a staff, you have then the staff people are all helping you. They're all I mean like this. They always talk about oh we we have to break this episode, break the episode. That's everyone trying to figure out what the story is, and they're all chiming in, deciding like you know, they're litmus testing ideas until the right. until an outline is presented to whoever assigned that episode. Yep. And then so there's there's really no. I mean, that's the wrong word. Most of the, the heavy lifting has been done for you, right? You know, and and then the script is, and and then you just have to turn in something that that is, you have to turn in something that needs the least amount of work to the room again, because it's because once the draft is in, mm-hmm. they're gonna go through it, mm-hmm. and there's gonna be issues with the dialogue. Like he, that's not how he sounds, blah blah blah, mm-hmm. and then and then that's all gonna be worked out in yeah. in, in the next draft. Right. But your ability to write, the you know the thing they're always concerned about. And I've heard this a lot about, uh, particularly with black writers, is that there's always the concern that from white writers that black writers don't really know how to write, <laughs> and so that there's always this kind of like uh, they're giving you the side eye right. internally, or maybe even externally on some shows, because mm-hmm. you hear a lot of people say they feel, feel uncomfortable being the person of color in the room yeah. until you turn your draft in, yeah. and then your draft is kind of like that's like the litmus test of. Oh, I had you all wrong, or mm-hmm. I knew this motherfucker can't write. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he's in here because of his skin. Mm-hmm. So that's where it's very important to be able to have the skill, to really, really have the right. skill. So they don't have any. You know, I mean, the issue that I that I heard a lot from a from a guy who's um, comedy writer. I, I don't want to say his name, but he'd been on a lot of shows. Um, really, really funny guy. He told me. He said, "You know, what's funny is that what I see a lot in." Um, scripts from black guys is or, or, or people of color is uh, there's grammar errors and spelling errors and he was like and those get singled out in a way they don't get singled out from if, if, like like he's basically saying that if someone black turns in a script and they're spelling it's like errors, they're looking for it they're looking for it right. but if someone white turns it in right. they just like whatever right. they, they you know it's like they're, tra- they're they're putting a hurdle in front of their mind already that you have to be so that's why again it's always this you got to be twice as good as like you can't no doubt mistakes. but it, he, here's what here's what happens in a room and again a lot of a lot of territory we we've, we've covered in the past but <clears throat> you have to problem solve and so breaking the story was Chris like you're figuring out where the story begins to advance and the conflict builds and goes by act. That's why they call it breaking it, because you don't really have a story. You don't have an episode until those questions are sort of answered and clarified. So whatever the issue is with that particular story that day, whatever the issue is with what's being pitched that the showrunner isn't into, Mm -hmm. your energy needs to go into addressing that problem or contributing to what is needed in the room on that day at that moment. And so it doesn't necessarily matter whose idea it is as long as you're making a contribution that's useful and helpful. So if you come in with that mindset, obviously it's going to it's going to be more helpful to you, but it's it's prob- like you can't just take up space regardless of what anyone says to you. Like, you can't do that. You can't be too overbearing and too aggressive and all of that kind of thing. Um, something I did very, very early on, just kind of was getting my feet wet. Like, I found myself 
either agreeing. I would I might piggyback a little bit off of someone what someone said, mm-hmm. but after maybe an hour or so, I had to get past that because I understood, you know, I needed to make a contribution in that room. So solving story problems, recognition, understanding. That's why we tell you all how critical it is to read scripts right. and break them down, watch television, break them down by scene. You know, all that, like if you're looking to do this professionally, there is a, a, a well, standard. I, I want to say something. We, Lena, Lena Wave said something the other day at, at one of the, um, at the panel <clears throat> that we did for the NWCP and the uh, Image Awards, which I really, really, really liked though, actually. She said something she was talking about when, she, when, when, when she's in the room, she's not that interested in um, you giving references to like, oh, on such and such a show, the character does this. What if we did that? What she wants to hear, and I totally believe in this, this is actually something I was talking about earlier, is she wants to hear your stories of how it coincides with the story. That's right. You know what I mean? Which, which, which I totally believe. Yes. That goes back to even when we were talking about when, you, when you're pitching to the showrunner, yeah, it's your, your stories. You're bringing something that no one else can bring, right? which is why your point about personalizing your approach and your, your angle with whatever the story issue is, is so important. Right. It's like your point of view is what's going to allow you to contribute in a way that no one else can contribute. So right. it's good to be in tune with. And no one cares how many episodes of other shows you know. Mm-hmm. No one's interested in your knowledge just for the sake of that knowledge. The way that you're able to apply it is far more important. And yes, it's like, well, what are you, how do you see this going down? What are you bringing? Right. And you got to be able to connect that and articulate that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're jumping around a bit. We're talking a lot about the actual <laughs> writing being the in the room. room. <laughs> it's all good. Um, Chris mentioned the 30%, you know, having a script may only be 30%. And, the, you know, the relationship stuff is real also. Right. Here's what people would always ask me about in terms of, um, you know, the ABC Fellowship, you know, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, look, you know, as best I could boil it down, write your ass off, number one, don't be a dick, number two. <laughs> if you can kind yeah, of remember Chris. those two ideas, you're, you'll be off to a good start. Yeah, don't be a dick is a very, very, um, I'm not going to say it's subjective, but you got to actually be a lot more, uh, aware of your behavior around people. Self-awareness is very Because important. I was talking with some people the other night and something came up about how, uh, and we've talked about this a little bit too, mm-hmm. there's like this thing with like the Me Too movement, right? Right. And my friend was telling me, he's a co-EP on a show and he was like, he had to sit down with, with HR about a complaint that was on the show. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, because he's at that level, you know, like they asked him to, get to to kind of be like, I don't, like, I don't say like a moderator. It's not that he did. Mm-hmm. But he was saying that there was a woman who was accusing a guy mm-hmm. of, you know, like she brought him up to HR. Mm-hmm. And because she felt she had the right now to say shit, right. that because it's, it's open now. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't anything about sexual. She was like, he's just a dick and I want him off the show. What? Yeah, <laughs> and he was getting, you know, and 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 it was yeah. and it was a whole complaint with the HR. I, I mean, as if it was framed like 
he was sexually harassing her, right. but he wasn't. It just was like, well, I have I have license now to take out my grievances, mm. and you just kind of see that like people don't like like people's like, you know it's the thing about writers. Like, I think they were saying it in a book called Difficult Men. It's like mm-hmm. why uh, rooms are so just such prickly things because writers aren't necessarily great social people, so. Things that you know, they you spend so much time alone, mm-hmm. and then when you and, and and then interaction is like friction with people because and 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 so that's where you know not being a dick, you have to really be careful what it means not yes. to be a dick because you know it's it's also like that story that Paul told. Remember the story that Paul Gale told about when he got the sexually sexually right. harassed thing? Right. Yes. Uh, uh, look, such a great episode. He didn't think he was doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. He absolutely. I mean, what and and what did he do? He was sitting in the space. He with, made a little he, a little innocent joke. A little, I innocent, right. a, a little innocent right. joke. But she took it. I'm not saying it's women, but just right. but just you know, the op, the other person took a joke the wrong way, right. and then you know what? And and then she went nuclear with it. You know, and that could happen to anybody. It, it right. could be a guy, another guy. It, 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 it could be a guy saying it to a girl. You know, it's just that that's part of, and that's again why, and that's staying in the room. Mm-hmm. Again, like that's that behavior code that falls within that seventy percent of. Are you gonna be able to stay in the room? Well, for I that? just want to take this up one more notch. It's I wouldn't say don't be a dick. I would say always be consistent. If that makes sense. Mm. So if you're a consistent nice guy. Like you know, I yes. think I think of myself as being pretty consistent. Every time you see me, I'm pretty much the same motherfucker you always see. Mm-hmm. You know, you know me since day one. Yeah, for sure. One, for sure. I try to be that same dude. I don't come with no attitude. I don't do. I'm not that dude. I try right. to just be consistent. You yeah, know what I mean, yeah, even <clears throat> keel. But it's kind of like when in doubt, like right. you're not. You certainly want to be self aware. You want to be paying attention. You want to have an understanding of the dynamics of the people around you. Right. But when in doubt, like if you don't have a handle on anything else, no one should be able to say that you're not working hard. Right. And no one should be able to say that you don't treat people in the way that, you know, you would want to be treated. That's Mm -hmm. kind of all it is. Like, and to Chris's point, there are writers who are, some of us are less socially comfortable than others. Um, I had the good fortune to learn a lot of this from my parents. Mm-hmm. In this regard, you know, the writer's room, the studio, what have you, it's not that different from most work environments, right. which is, you know, people don't like conflicts at work. If you got to spend a lot of time, you got to spend all day with a person or group of people, like you don't want any drama around that. And so if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, if you're not responding in a way that is a fit with what the objectives are in that office, you know, what's going to happen is something that you don't want, which is people working around you. Like right. The last thing you want is people kind of working around, like they'll leave you alone. Mm-hmm. You know, you're very, very <laughs> lucky if someone pulls you to the side and says, look, you know, Hilliard, you know, Chris, you like, you're fucking up. Like, you got to you got to handle this. This is not right. More often than not, no one will say anything. Yeah, no one says shit. And you won't even but a good, know a good until co-AD it's too late. Would put you aside though. Exactly. Right. But right. you're you're not you're not guaranteed that in any way. You're right. fortunate if you get that. And mm-hmm. so yeah. Well, since you said it's like it's any other work environment, it's because I think that what happens is is that on the psychological level, you 
have a way that you are. It's like code switching, right? So basically, there's a way you behave at your corporate job. Right. It's you, it feels like a straitjacket mm-hmm. for a lot of artists. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter like who you are in terms of what your race or everything like that. And th- and then you kind of feel like this is how I am outside. And then because I'm creating, I I give myself a certain type of like freedom to be. Um, emotionally explosive because that's how that's how I work, right. and then it's like so when I get into this this creative space to work, I should have the freedom to work the way that I work to create to, to give you why you hired me. But then I think it's like well, remember has a little bit of entitlement. To yeah, it, right? it's too much entitlement. <laughs> right, it's too much. Right, but right. but remember what I said. That's why the thirty percent is the script. Behind, you know what I'm saying? So it's it's like okay. That explosive personality or whatever it is that you are, they, they give you that script, you can't be that because right. that's not the main reason why I hired you. It's something else. Well, let me say, everybody that I know or have heard of in this industry, and I wonder if you guys can relate to this, <clears throat> who is a dick are people who, just my, my, I study this shit, everybody that I've heard of or known personally who are dicks got there easily. Like, Wrote a script or two, got in, got signed to fucking ICM or CAA, first time out, you know, sold that movie, that movie sold, then they got on a show, got straight up to producer, you know what I mean? Like they skipped a bunch of things and they have this I'm better than you thing, if well, that makes any no, kind no, of sense. No, I, you no, feel no, me? No, I, yeah. it's, it's, the, it's the people who you say, it's like my brother says, mm-hmm. he didn't learn the business right. Right. Or she didn't learn the business right. Right. Because you, there's always people who kind of, well, if, if, if you get to skip steps and not saying there are like this, this there's like 10 steps. There's, there's, sure. I'm not saying there is just this, but, but, but like most people have to uh, uh, get setbacks. Mm-hmm. And the setbacks teach you something. Right. And, and if you don't have the setback, then there's a lesson that you didn't learn that, that almost everyone else knows, and they'll look at you funny like, you didn't know that? Mm-hmm. And then that's, you know, and it's kind of, you know, and it's like you're walking around blind because as Tracy was saying, oh, you're not self-aware. Right. Well, there, there are different consequences. Um, a lot of those people have not suffered consequences for their behavior, and they may be insulated and they're being a place they're so entrenched in the business they may not pay a price for you know that that sort of sometimes not for a long time a lot of people we know of (laughs) right are not paying the price but but other people don't have that good fortune it's like say an alcoholic or Mm -hmm. or a drug addict like there are a lot of people who could easily be in you know narcotics anonymous or aa right um, but you know they never had an accident. Mm-hmm. They never got arrested. They never had to pay a price for their behavior. Yeah, and so they kind of yeah. just keep moving on. Well, there's other functioning people, alcoholic and exactly. right. <clears throat> that one other person. You know right. that one time they had a little too much and DUI <laughs> and it's a wrap. Oh yeah, and that's fifteen twenty grand. Right. So and then, oh, like we were ooh. saying, you know, before we got on it, like for us and for you all who's listening, like you cannot worry about. Those sort of external situations, like it's it, it's. Well, I learned very quickly, like what you can control and what you cannot control. You need to be clear about that. Right. And the stuff that you can't control, sure you can learn from it and look at it and kind of be aware of it. But 
you want to deal with where you are, what it is you can do, and what you're bringing. That's where your focus should be because those other things, you could bang your head against the wall, you know, just trying to figure out why it is, you know, these people who are dicks, <laughs> you know, got to where they are so easily. And I mean, there's that. You can look at that. You People who are dicks on the staff that you can't get, you, you know, they're, particularly if they're dicks and they're higher level than you, then, then you basically just have to kind of like, um, I mean, they always say you have to, I can't say you got to turn the other cheek, because you, you have to, but you, but you just have to continue, like you said, be consistent, mm-hmm. be con- be consistently nice to them, consistently nice to everybody else, because the one thing that will happen is that if I'm nice to everybody. Right. It and, can rub off. It, no, but no, but here's the thing. If I'm nice to everybody, but Tracy doesn't like me, mm-hmm. and I'm still nice to Tracy, and Tracy can turn around and say, Chris is such a dick. Mm-hmm. And if he tells that to you, Hillier, right. then you're kind of like, but he's cool to me. Right. You know, I'm the first person to say that. To and I see him yeah. to everyone else who's cool. So right. it's you, Tracy, who has a problem with Chris on right. some personal level that that I can't see, that right. I don't know. And the thing is, is that that then t- that ultimately is going to make look. That's ultimately that's ultimately going to you know like make Tracy look bad. But it might not come out to, to that way. And the thing is, is is that that's where you just have to deal. I mean, the thing about this industry is you hear about the horror stories mm-hmm. more than anything. And it's just always some person, one person who's just their behavior is just is as you know is just crazy, yeah. and it's like you know what, but they're able to mask it in a way that they're able to put it on you only, and they and a, a lot of it is insecurity and power plays, right. and therefore it's up to you to kind of be able to be, to, to to absorb that, right. and then rise above it in the eyes of everybody else. Because that's because you know it's like. What's it? I, let me interrupt you. Right no, quick. no, interrupt me. I, I, I remember hearing a story um, from a writer on a, on a panel that we did for the education committee, committee recently. <clears throat> they were talking about dealing with this with somebody who was a dick, but who was co EP level, and they were like story editor or some shit. And every day, in some way, they would cut down their stories. They would. You know, say something to them. They would, they would make them do extra. It was like just they were just dogging them. And they and this person you guys know is like really nice and just like whatever. You know, very laid back, super smart and whatever. And so she was a woman too. She decided I'm gonna wait until he needs something, and I'm gonna be the first person to raise my hand to help them to do it. And they're gonna see that ah, I needed her for a reason. And it told, and it happened. She helped him just do some research on some stuff, and did far and beyond the research he asked for. And he was like, "Oh, she actually knows how to do some shit." <laughs> you know what I mean? And now they are like laughing and having a great time in the room. But she had to earn it. I mean, it took her like you know they're in there for twenty weeks. It took her freaking sixteen. But she focused on what <laughs> she could control. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. She didn't know how that was going to turn out. Right. But she did what she felt would give her the best opportunity to improve that situation. Well, it's, it's interesting because it's like most people aren't sociopaths. So <laughs> I said <Exactly>. most. <laughs> um, so, so, it's so, at least four and eight, I'm sure. Well, no, but what I'm saying is, but but in terms of like the story you just told, 
she took a risk not knowing how he was going to behave by uh, by a volunteering, and then right. b, you know, she knew she had to do um, you know, this this a plus student work right. because she was she like, couldn't just give him what he asked she, for. No, she no, had to give him more. No, yeah, she had to because right. if if she just mm-hmm. gave him the, like he would have taken her down if it was exa- right. exactly what he wanted. He'd right. be like, oh, this bitch in his right. head, and then so, but. Because he's not a sociopath, he recognized <laughs> something and he changed his own behavior. Right. You know, because the sociopath would be like, "Thanks, bitch. Now here's some, <laughs> you know, I, you know, whatever. Just like, you know, and here's some hot wax in your head. Right. Just some crazy ass shit that, yeah. uh, you know, that happens. Um, <laughs> not for the meek of heart. That's what David Milch says about the business. Mm-hmm. Um, but but see, it's interesting because like I like I don't think there's any business that's really. I agree. I mean, I listen to Masters of Scale <laughs> podcasts on Silicon Valley. Dude, it's the same shit. I think that the differences on, on, on this level, you get into a position of which you're like on a show. Mm-hmm. Um, you doesn't matter what position, you know, staff writer up to EP, whatever it is, co EP. That's like the upper level management. C-suite stuff right. at any other corporation. Right. Mm-hmm. Most people might not get to that position at that corporation mm-hmm. to know how cutthroat it is and how people behave. But it's the same in every industry. I mean, most people are probably stuck in that assistant role mm-hmm. at General Motors or right. whatever they're doing. You know, or, or or they're working on the line for years, for years, and right. that's all they do because that's you know that's their ambition mm-hmm. or not their ambition. But they just don't know how to like to to change their ambition, and or I think, they don't have. The ally that they need in the right place, right. or maybe there was an opportunity to change that and they didn't recognize it. They passed them by. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a lack of preparation. So I'm I'm with you. I mean, I agree, um, but you have to kind of continue to put the work in and kind of have your your antennas and your microphones yeah, working. You have to do a lot of soul searching. It's like I remember. Um, you know, so your girl who you did a um a movie for, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> so um so so she told me that she was on a show, she basically got sexually harassed mm-hmm. quite a bit by a woman on the show, as well as some other men. Mm-hmm. Um and she went to talk with she was like, I don't know how to get out of this. I, I don't know what to do. And I said and I was giving her advice and finally I said, you know what? You might want to have a conversation with Glenn Mazzara mm-hmm. about this because he is very skilled at. I mean, because you know he has that right. background, the hospital right. thing, and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And so she sat down and talked with him, and she told me she said yes. So what Glenn said was, "You got to do a whole lot of soul searching. It might take you three months, six months, like a year to figure out what you did, mm. and." Figure out what you could have done to have changed the situation because she worked on a show and then she couldn't get any recommendations right. from for other jobs afterwards. Right. And now there's other reasons we know about that, but it's one of those things that you say to yourself. How I mean, it is tough to say I'm the one at fault for something that happened when it could easily could not have been, but. I think it's what it's what I bring this up because it's what it's, it's the thing that you said is where's the ally where's the opportunity that I missed that I didn't see and it's like that's where the soul searching is it's like okay what what like what happened that I could have like 
you know, I should have stepped left, but I stepped right, right. you know, and that's just, you know, that's, that's not blaming yourself, but it's seeing where it's like, okay, next time I can do this. And it's tough to be honest with yourself that way. Like, that's a tough conversation to have, but sometimes that's what's necessary for you to move forward in a, in a more productive way. Right. You, well, you know, since you bring this up, because I was, this a really, really cool, uh, if you have the El Rey Network, but I was watching on this thing called Verve, a, a mm-hmm. VRV last night. This thing called the director's chair. Mm-hmm. I was so mad when I watched this. I was so mad. Um, <laughs> I was so mad because it's this thing that Robert Rodriguez does. Mm-hmm. And it's like something that like I wanted to do like 20 years ago. And I tried to do it. Mm-hmm. And I had like some big, big directors, like like guys who are retired lined up. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were all, but they didn't know me, and I got a recommendation, and they just like you know, get one guy, you know, and I couldn't, and the one guy that I, I would you want to have like a round table or something? No. Okay. So basically the director's chair is just these, it's, it's Robert Rodriguez and he has these one-on-one conversations with directors talking about their career and stuff like that. And, and so for me years ago, I wanted to do this thing with like, I wanted to talk with Billy Wilder and and with like Fred Zinneman and with um, like Clint Eastwood. And it was, was, you know, and, and I, and Fred Zinneman said he would do it if I got somebody else. Of course. And then I talked with Billy Wilder and I actually met him and talked with him twice about stuff. It's this whole convoluted thing. And ultimately he, he thought about it and he was like in his nineties. So he said, you gotta get back to me. And he turned me down ultimately because he was like, "I'm doing the same thing with Cameron Crowe, yeah. so I won't do. I'm not going to go over it twice because he right. really hated the whole movie experience at that point. At that right. point in his life, but anyway, this thing with Rodriguez, he's talking with with. I watched one last night with um, Guillermo del Toro, mm-hmm. and he was saying that the mimic, that movie he did the mimic, mm-hmm. almost destroyed him. Like mm-hmm. literally, mm-hmm. like the 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 way the tre- the studio treated him it was a big first oh, year of studio right. film, mm-hmm. and he was like, for three years, I couldn't get a movie off the ground. And for three years, I sit around and like and do the soul searching and ask myself three years, you know, what was important to me to, in terms of making a movie right. and what I wanted to do and and just so much craziness. And he was like, the biggest lesson he learned was like how to say no because he said yes on a lot of things on the, right. on the mimic that ultimately came back to hurt him. Right. Um, and then he was like, and ultimately Pedro Amoldovar met him in Miami and said, I want to make your movie. Mm. And he had another movie he wanted to do, which is Devil's Backbone. Mm-hmm. And when he was prepping it, um, New Line came and said, well, we want you to do Blade 2. <laughs> and they said, and this is the window you have to meet Blade 2. And it would have said he had to stop Devil's Backbone uh, and do Blade 2. Right. And then he said, I used the lesson I learned from Mimic. I told him, no. Mm. If you want me, you wait. Mm. Damn. And That's bars right there. Is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but and, and, and he was saying they were offering me all this money no, for sure. for Blade Two, and he yeah. met with Wesley, and it was mm-hmm. just like so this great thing. But he was like, but the Hollywood thing meant I'd have to like do something to my soul mm. that was like I was that it almost destroyed me with Mimic, right. and I needed to go back and do that. It was Backbone? Did it? I think he did it in Spain and mm-hmm. own Spanish language. And it was just like. That's what he needed, but he, but he, but, 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 but it took him three years of yeah, like yeah. of looking at himself and trying to figure out what he wanted to do. And he even and they waited. He had a clarity. And, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and they did wait. Right. Yeah. Interesting. That's very, funny. Very important. Hmm. All right. Well, it was a nice little short one I wanted to do. A little quick little episode with y'all. All good. Keep banging, <laughs> y'all. Keep doing what you're doing. That's all you can do. It's uh, it only it does get better no matter how it shakes out in right. terms of. Improving your craft and getting ready and just 
it does it does get better. Right. So. And I, mean, I just want to, you know, I know we, we jumped around quite a bit on that today, but, you know, just know that, you know, writing really is about 30% of getting the job. It's true. You know, it's knowing who you, who you are, knowing your superpower, being able to come up with stories from your own personal point of view. All that stuff is super important. Having a personality, being likable, being consistent, you know, I... All those things apply. And open up your mouth and talk. Like when you go to these events, you don't want to go and sit there and just stand around. That's a challenge for a lot of people. Like you introverts out there, at least say hello, introduce yourself to one person that you don't know. That's like a basic thing that you can do to kind of set you on that path. You you got to speak up. And here's a perfect example of that. Barry Jink, when we did our first, three years ago, we did our first NAACP Image Award uh, uh, panel that I moderated with Ben Corey Jones. And Barry Jenkins was sitting in the audience wishing he was on the stage three years ago. Yeah. Two years later, he wins the Oscar. Somebody in the audience should have said, hey, dude, what's your name? Yeah. You feel me? Yeah. Wasn't me. Yeah. I mean, I met him, right. but I, it wasn't me. Uh, are you talking about that night with Barry when he was there, or are you talking about the time that Barry came and was on the panel? I'm talking about Barry was there that night, the very first one we did. Right, right. You feel me? Right, right, right. And two years later, he was on the panel. I talked to him when he was on the panel. As a fucking winner. You know what I'm saying? That's I what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, when he was there, I went up to him and said, hey, man, blah, blah, blah. blah. I right. was talking like, about, like, well, yeah. But so give him credit because he was there. Right. And I, that I'm, first time he came and, you know, he was right. in the house. And I'm jumping off of what you was just saying about, you know, make sure you don't leave without meeting someone. Absolutely. Meet someone, get their <laughs> Just car, because they're in the audience coffee. with you don't mean they ain't somebody. Absebody. You know, or ain't going to be somebody. And you're going to flow more with the people who are there with you right. than the people who are already on the panel, you know, getting mobbed by everyone trying to ask them questions and ask them for jobs. <laughs> So true. So we true. all know. So anyway, work on your personality, figure out who the fuck you are, and you know, be able to use those stories to 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 tell your truth of who you are. You know, and and if you ever get those showrunner meetings or even meetings at studios, and you read the script, read the script and see how it connects to your life. Well, that's you know? you, well, see, that's right. your voice. When everyone right. says, "What's the voice?" Blah, blah blah. It's like how you articulate you on the page. Right. Good. On that Amen. note. Thanks again. I appreciate that. Thanks, Tracy, for coming through. It's been a minute. Thank you for the invitation. Always an honor to be with my peeps. Yes, of course. It's a blast, always. And I was talking about consistency earlier. One thing I love about you too, Chris, this motherfucker right here since day one. Same motherfucker. Doing my thing. All the time. I get get energy from from my folks. Y'all know Hilliard is a dear friend of mine. Um, CBD is a friend, so I'm I'm really just energized by Mm -hmm. being with my folks. Because we're all in this together. We're going to rise and fall. We're going right. to get where we're going, right. you know, with each other. So I'm, I'm grateful for that and grateful for the opportunity to be on this mic. Yes, sir. Where are you at? Uh, <clears throat> at The Real Trey, T-H-E-R-E-E-L-T-R-A-Y, at Twitter. Tracy Grant on Facebook. You hit me on Twitter. I'm still helping goofy dudes with their <laughs> love lives. Starting an advice column for real. I can help That's you good. with that That's situation. We, we love the new fiance. So and I'm we, happy for shout you. out to wifey. Yes, I'm inside of six months, mm-hmm. God willing. And um, one of these days, we're really going to articulate what you, myself, Chris, 
Lisa, because mm-hmm. I know there are execs and people in the game who listen to this show also. Right, right. Um, maybe not in the C-suites, but we're going to make it clear that we are not like the rest. Well, I'll tell you what. I've been thinking about this. Executives are listening to this. Oh, I, oh, really, yeah. I really need to Here's the trip. Here's the trip. <laughs> we're, this is dropping probably tomorrow, which is be like episode 194, I think. So maybe we'll do episode 200. Maybe a 200. We need a big 200. I'm going to save it for 200. All right. But we know what we're talking about right. is my larger point. Okay. Um, Hilliard especially. Like, we are not here just because he went and got some equipment and threw the podcast <laughs> up on our team. There is some experience yeah, and some expertise. Shit. There's years of us training and In this room. Right. So you might want to get at a brother. That's what Carl Seaton was telling me right. the other day. I had lunch with him. And he mm-hmm. was like, you guys... It's like he's a cool cat. I he's like a very that. cool yeah, cat. Cool. He's basically like it's like crack listening to you guys. It's like <laughs> you guys like school so many writers and just on, on shout like, out to Carl Seaton. What's up, know, Carl? How to navigate <clears throat> the business, mm-hmm. you know, not just the craft. Mm-hmm. The craft, like everyone get. I mean, the craft is taught by by a lot of people. You know, books, whatever. Robert right. McKee, all these kind of people. I even teach craft, uh, but that's again thirty percent. Thirty percent. That's what's up. <laughs> so, where you at, Chris? Uh, I'm at DerekBrothers.com, SaddleboxerCinema.net. Uh, that's the web presence. And then Twitter and Instagram is unauthorized CBD. That's what's up. And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show, Screenwriters RR on Twitter. Any questions, ScreenwritersRantRoom at gmail.com. <clears throat> Please go on iTunes, Apple podcast, whatever you have, whatever you listen to, give us a five-star review. We need that for the metrics. It's very, very important. Um, boy, it's, it's a lot of shit's going on. It's going to be a good year. It's going to be a good year. Yes, sir. A lot of good shit. Um, I'll tell you about it as soon as we finish this shit off. I'm trying to keep shit off the air. Because sometimes you put shit out and the shit don't come through. It's not the right time. You be looking crazy. Yeah, we don't want so that. So I'm done with that. We don't want that. <laughs> I'm just keeping it to myself. I'll, I'll, when, when, it, when the shit's signed, but then I'll put we, it out there. we appreciate the good vibes and right. the good wishes and all of that. Exactly. Just keep that exactly. going. And uh, oh, one little thing. Since we hit out Carl Seaton, we got to hit out Jeff Bird. I love calling him Jeff Bird. Jeff Bird. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff is cool. He's <laughs> really cool. Uh, so shout out to the, you know what, shout out to the CBW. Um, we've been doing some good stuff. Um, we just did our last event last night for the Black Panther. Love the committee. Um, screening. That was awesome. Michelle Amore holding it down. We had Winston Duke who played Mbaku. Mbaku. He was a lot taller Dude. in the photo. I was yeah. like, he's tall. Oh, like, yeah. He stood okay. up next to me. I was like, oh, shit. They didn't do the damn he's like movie six right three. to shoot, to shoot, us, to shoot <laughs> us to know how tall he was. Right. I mean, he he's big in the movie, but yeah. he's big, yeah. big. Yeah. Yeah. And, but he's big. Here's the thing, though. He's a lot bigger in the movie than he is in person. Because, you know, a movie makes you look 10 pounds bigger anyway. Yeah, right. yeah, but yeah. he's actually looked almost skinny. He, he looked kind of skinny. He looked kind of skinny, but he yeah. just was tall. And right. he lo- and I, he, he looks... In the movie, he didn't look as tall. Right. He and he looked dominatingly tall in the photos I saw. And I was like, damn, yeah. he looks yeah, like six. Yeah, he's four, tall. Six, he's yeah. tall. And yeah. then um, um, your boy who 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 co-wrote the script. Why am I going blank on his name? Joe Robert. Joe Cole. Robert. Yeah, he's awesome too. Really, really nice guy. And here's the trip. You would have you would have loved this. So I'm jumping all on the subject. So Winston interviewed him. He was on some fucking Larry King questions and shit. He was going deep. Yeah. I was. Blown away. Good for him. Really? Dude, he was asking him intellectual shit. I was like, this motherfucker's educated, isn't he? <laughs> he really, me and Livy and Michelle were standing next to each other going, 
You hear them questions? <laughs> I was like, I need to step my shit up. Good for him. This motherfucker's badass. Yeah. Educated. <laughs> yeah, he was giving me some bars. Love so. that. Anyway. That's what you got to know about your bassoons and oboes. That's right. Gotta- <laughs> 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 so y'all know how we do it on the rant room. <laughs> on the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, y'all? Wakanda, Wakanda forever. Peace, y'all. I'ma say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Red Room. Well, you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerd Has got no time for no caca Sass in class Yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words Are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel Say what you want Welcome to the Red Room. Red Room. Red Room.